This is the Strength and Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 51. Z! And we're going back for another devil's advocate today. Um, we're going to talk about all the federations in powerlifting. But let's start with tying up some loose ends. Yeah. Um, went back and did listen to that uh, Dr. Fred Clary episode. I highly um, recommend people do that because, seriously, like such good information in there. Yeah, definitely have spurred some discussion around here. Um, but one <laughs> yeah. of the things he mentioned was uh, the big deadlift he saw at uh, Junior Nationals mm-hmm. at one of his first national meets, and that was, I think I said Gary Hensley. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is actually Gary Heisey. Is it, do you think I'm pronouncing that correctly, Mr. Bain? Uh, it looks about like yeah, Heisey. Yeah, I, I think in my mind I thought it was Hensley, mm-hmm. and I don't even know what I said last week. Maybe I said Hensey, but it is H-E-I-S-E-Y, Heisey. Um, I don't remember him ever being around when I started in the sport in 2000, but I definitely remember people talking about him because for, you know, kind of that start of when I got into the sport, he did have the top deadlift um, at right. 925, mm-hmm. um, which he did at uh, a, it looks like he did at an APA Worlds, quote unquote. Oh, excuse me, WPA Worlds in okay. 1992. Gotcha. Um, Gary Frank then broke that with a 931 deadlift at the WPO semifinals in 2002. Mm-hmm. And I do remember that. And then uh, I know, I believe Gary might have pulled more than that in the future. And then eventually our, our guy from uh, from Britain, um, Andy Bolton, Andy Bolton would end up pulling 1,000 mm, mid to late 2000s at uh, WPC. I want to say 05. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. At one of those WPO semifinals that was at the WPO, WPC Worlds. Yes. Um, as Dr. Fred noted, um, Gary Heisey did deadlift 910 at the 88 APF Junior Nationals, which, as he mentioned, didn't have anything to do with the age group. It was more like the, the lesser meet or the right. you know the junior meet to the senior nationals. So kind of like the you know the top the, this, tier. This was college and seniors like the, yeah, the pros. Top tier, second tier was right. kind of the idea between junior nationals and senior nationals. Right. Um, Heisey attempted as much as 997 Jeepers. at the 1990 seniors after doing 920. Just full fucking send it. Just go. Yeah. And uh, it looks like the last time he competed, he took three shots at 931 at 1996 APF seniors. Mm. Looks like that's the last time he competed. Again, at least according to Open Powerlifting, which is, you know, an imperfect source, but it's probably the best source we have. Gold Sands. standard. They're, just, they're deciding what meets are good now. Uh, that's a topic for another day. <laughs> um, but certainly at least the best source we have, Sands, going through every uh, single powerlifting USA correct. and since Michael Soon's passed away. Correct. A uh, lot of listens on the international front. Uh, we are getting pretty close to 20% of our listens actually are from our international listeners. So just a big thank you to the community outside the U.S. Obviously, our U.S. listeners we appreciate, but uh, just cool to connect with people from all over the world. Yeah, I, you know, I, I posted on Instagram like our the growth end, numbers from the year, the end of the year Spotify mm-hmm. thing. I'm oh, gonna, the, the Spotify wrap. Oh yeah, Spotify wrap, and it said our biggest growth area was in Australia, which is pretty interesting. Now maybe it was just like we went from zero to one, 
and that was our biggest growth. But, so what? But hey, that's that's you know, that's a, uh, is that a hundred percent growth? Is that a thousand percent growth? That would be a hundred percent. But we, I mean, we've got a decent following down down under. Uh, I mean, makes sense being an English speaking country. I correct. Mean, but they, they've actually they've been growing their multiply uh, lifting community as well. I've been finding quite a few folks that lift multiply down in the in Australia, which I think is kind of cool. I think is just you know a byproduct of uh, you know our subject matter and then the rest of those that we are uh, we are connected with. So pretty exciting to see that and they you know they do host some very large raw meats as well sure certainly uh, i mean powerlifting is big in australia there's it, no doubt it is yeah um our one of our officials andrea stearns who i believe is the head or one of the heads of wpc australia mm-hmm. and she's uh we've seen her at many wpc world meets she had planned on being here for wpc worlds this year but womp, uh, womp. was unable to travel due to covid Australian restrictions. Right, so. right. So, But definitely appreciate that. And in that same vein, you know, if you do listen to the podcast, really appreciate if you, you know, like us, give us a review on uh, on the Apples, on the Spotify's, uh, share it. Uh, whenever you do listen to an episode you may like, uh, definitely helps us uh, grow the uh, the podcast. And, you know, the more traction we get, the more, you know, more guests we can get on. Uh, and obviously, the more uh, more subjects that we can, uh, we can cover. Yeah, definitely. Other than that, Mr. Bain, what's going on? Man, it's uh, it's meat week as we, as of this recording, so it is M E E T or M E A T. Well, that's every week is M E A T, uh, but no, it is meat M E E T. Uh, getting ready for the Illinois Raw Power Challenge, and uh, obviously there's some some specific numbers that I have in mind for for this coming Saturday. We're recording on Tuesday here, and uh, I, I'm lying if I don't say I'm nervous, but I'm just I'm ready to to get this meat done. Uh, and obviously, we've had uh, some big plans on the horizon with uh, with you know, multiply, and uh, honestly, just kind of ending the year, you know, well, uh, and just kind of excited for 2020 to be fucking over. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's uh, really what's really going on with me. Uh, Stone, what's going on with you? Well, I've spent uh, the week and a little bit of time. Uh, a lot of you saw the the new Strengthener logo, mm-hmm. which I haven't quite figured out how to make it the right size for Apple and for. Um, anchor because that one's like a circular and even Instagram, they want like a circular logo Yeah, and our logo is more of a, a rectangle. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Nonetheless, we do have a new logo, which I think looks pretty cool. And, uh, we are working on some t-shirts. So yes. we're working on a two XL powerlifting, uh, t-shirt apparel page. Mm-hmm. Um, I've ordered some samples because I did, I ordered one sample and I didn't like it at all. No, no, no. So bueno. I ordered, uh, some other samples and I'll have a look at, and did some Howard and I did some work on the logos, had to do some work on the, the actual formatting and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, looks like the strength and anger logo will work well. We've also got the Midwest side. Yeah. So like the mid, the Midwest side guys, it's coming. It's yeah. coming. I know I couldn't even count how many people have wanted these t-shirts if they've not been to, to the Lombard meets. Uh, but you are going to be able to soon order uh, Midwest side t-shirts. Yep. Um, so we're working on that and hopefully I would guess probably more like a early 2021 launch of that officially, yep. because, you know, I want to make sure everything on there is something that's quality. I don't just want to throw out some shit. Yeah. So. No, no bullshit. Yep. But speaking of, speaking of bullshit, Mr. Bain, what is bullshit? So my what is bullshit this week is actually stemming from something that's happened to me over and I've observed over the last couple of weeks, and that is hijacking other people's posts on social media. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Eric, but you make a post or you see somebody's post and you get into the comments a bit and it's veered so far off of the subject matter of the post or you have somebody who's blatantly trying to jump in and capture the audience of that post with their comment. Case in point. 
So lately on LinkedIn, through my professional circle, I've been doing a series of videos called Bain Explains. And this is basically just going into some of the various topics about supply chain, logistics, and transportation, and the technology that surrounds it. The CEO of a a direct competitor of mine jumped into the comments on one of my videos and basically started doing an ad for his own company. Wrong. And so I, I did DM him back and you know basically called him a piece of shit. Uh, and I just, I, it was no less than five minutes later, I was finishing my scrolling through social media this morning and I see somebody post a picture of his, his daughter and, um, and his girlfriend. And he's talking about, Hey, it's, you know, it's tough when you get divorced and you get a new significant other, you introduce them to your kids. And the two of them were standing there smiling. And the first comment was somebody bitching, oh, they're not wearing masks. I just lost two family members. Maybe you should recognize that we're in a pandemic. I'm like, are you really that guy? You're really that guy right now that this guy is opening up and discussing that how difficult it is to, you know, especially given the current situation with people's raised stress levels, all that, to introduce a new person to your children's life. And I understand you may have had some tragedy happen during the, the lockdown or, you know, because of the, the pandemic. But I don't think that's the right place to do that because all Definitely you're really not. trying to do is get people, you know, is, is virtue signals what you're doing. Right. And so that's, that is bullshit. And that, that has been pissing me off all day. So, uh, Stone, what is bullshit? No, I'm going to go more in the powerlifting realm. Oh, um, yeah, this one's good. Because I've gone political before. So let's go back to powerlifting. Um, and this, there, there's a specific instance that this is related to. But in general, I think this is just. <laughs> fully applicable regardless of specific instances um, in the powerlifting context, your teammates bullshitting you. You're, Not bullshitting you, with you, bullshitting you. Right, bullshitting you on how your lifts look. Like, mm-hmm. if you if I squat high, I want my teammates to tell me that I, I'm squatting high. If you jump a press command, tell me. Right, I, I, wanna, I want honest feedback. Now, I don't want you to, like, purposefully, you know, rip me down or anything like that. Like, I want constructive criticism just like everybody mm-hmm. which i think is the most valuable but uh, you know don't bullshit your teammates and tell them that oh yeah oh yeah that, you're right there it looks be, great it'll, it'll be there it'll day. be their meet day and you know then you post videos online that are clearly not to competition standards and everyone on the thread is just sucking your you know what mm-hmm. and it's like you're not doing anybody any favors now no. Let's be honest. A training lift is just that. It's a training lift. I mean, and we've not, and we've talked about that specifically, right? I mean, not training lifts don't need to be to competition depth all the time. And just like you don't always bench to your chest, sometimes you use boards. You don't right. always bench competition singles with a press command, right? Like I get it. Like training is different than a meet, but when you're training, say squat to a certain depth, and your teammates are all telling you, "Oh yeah, that that's legal depth. That's a great opener Bur- right there." Buried that, it. Buried, buried it. it, and it, it is clearly higher than a draft's pussy. You need some new teammates that are they'll be honest with you. And, and and I'll piggyback off that. When those you are connected with, you know, however it is, whether it's social media, whether it is a text message, some other messaging platform, say hey, and, and they come at you in a in a as you said, Eric, constructive constru- criticism. Constru- like I don't want you to bomb. I don't want you to not do well to me. I want you to hit your numbers you may want to consider a different plan of action. And then to, st- to basically say, you're wrong, right? and there's no way you could be right, that I think is short-sighted. And I agree. I think you need to get better teammates and be more open to the idea that, guess what? You, you lifters, if you're listening to this right now, 
you're you're part of this you category. You're not infallible. You're gonna fuck up. Yeah. And so I and, I, and uh, teammates and with your teammates, be honest. That that's number one. Be right. honest. Like that doesn't mean you need to be don't be per- a dick. Yeah, you don't need to be a dick, but give people honest feedback because at the end of the day, when you go to the meet. Uh, most of the time, the judges, they're not your buddies. Correct. And they're just going to call it how they see it. And so. if they are and they're good judges, guess what? They're not going to give you the fucking lift. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I've been known by many times to red light my own teammates mm-hmm. and get a white light from non-teammates on squat depth. And I say, well, yeah, you got two whites. It's I didn't like, think it was deep enough. It's about the integrity of the sport here. Right. So let's so, move on, Mr. Bain. Yeah, let's move on because, you know, we got some great feedback. We didn't talk about this in the, uh, the loose ends intentionally because I wanted to talk about this with this particular segment. On our new segment, Stone Stories, uh, you know, as I mentioned last week uh, on our first one, Eric has got a lot of stories about just different stuff. I think it wasn't last week our second one? I think it was, the, it was the first one. Okay. Didn't we do one with the Clary episode as well? Maybe not. No, I don't think we did. Okay. Maybe well, I'm wrong. And if I am wrong, whatever. Wrong. Georgie, Georgie, look that up for yeah, us. Yeah, please. Uh, so, but Eric has a ton of stories from interactions around meets, because of meets, with meets, and... Some of these things are just almost unbelievable. So we wanted to try to chronicle these, and so we have started our Stone Stories series. So, Eric, can you tell us about this week's Stone Story? Yeah, I, I've thought about going back in the archives, but I've had some pretty good ones from recently. So yeah, um, maybe the lockdown is making people crazy. Right. Well, <laughs> in this case, I think there's a specific reason. So here's a recent phone call I got. Mm-hmm. Answer the phone. 2XL, this is Eric. How can I help you? Silence. Hello? More silence. Hello? Now I'm like yelling in the phone. <laughs> uh, uh, hello? More silence. Uh, 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 yeah, is this 2XL powerlifting? Uh, yeah. Uh, how, how can I help you? <laughs> Maybe slightly irritated by this point. Uh, are there youth meets? And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, hold on, back up. Like, what exactly are you asking about? I'm not going to I'm reading this, and the first thing I'm thinking of is like, Bart Simpson calling Moses like in on the Simpsons, like right. <laughs> some of a prank call yeah. coming. Yeah. Ivana. Is Ivana there? Yeah, Ivana Humbalat. Right. Uh, hold on. Back up. What exactly are you asking? And then the kid answers. Uh, it, and it's obviously a kid. I could tell from them talking. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any youth powerlifting competitions? Me. Define youth. Because I don't. What do you mean by youth? Right. Uh, kid. Uh, I'm 14. And I'm like. I start to answer, yes, our meets typically do have a teenage division. Before I can finish my sentence or before I can ask any follow-up questions, <laughs> uh, okay, bye, hangs up. <laughs> and that's the whole phone call. <laughs> now, uh, here's what I'm guessing happened. This is probably the first time this 14-year-old kid has ever actually had to call somebody on the phone. And then they picked up. <clears throat> right. And probably what happened is the mom, he asked his mom, like, mom, can I do this powerlifting meet? Or dad, well, either one. It's, sure. us- it's usually mom in my experience, but in this scenario. And the mom's like, oh, I don't know. Call them up and ask. Right. And so kid and modern kids who literally never even talk on the phone, you know, and they only text message and Instagram direct message. They don't even know how to email. Yeah. Um, calls me up. Surprised you slide in your DMs. Right, yeah. And, and well, he's 14. Maybe he just doesn't have the DMs yet. No, he, might, he might not, yeah. Yeah, so he might not. So he's probably never called anybody on the phone before. And so when he actually does have to talk to somebody – he just has no idea how to talk. And I was talking about this earlier this week, how, you know, when I was a high schooler, like when you wanted to call and talk to a girl, you had to call them on their house phone. There was mm-hmm. no cell phones. Correct. And like, I would like practice to myself saying, 
hi, this is Eric. May I please talk to, you know, Sarah or whoever it was? Because like inevitably, who's Sarah, Eric? Inevitably, <laughs> inevitably, somebody like Bane with like a deep voice, a dad would answer the phone. Hello, <laughs> hi, this is Eric. Can I talk to Sarah? Who is this? This is Eric. And who are you? Um, a friend? Yeah. And see, here's what's funny is if you've heard some of our other stories, you know, Eric's voice got pretty deep fairly early. Right. So that had to be super awkward. How the fuck old are you? This is not an exaggeration. Here's another stone story. Un- <laughs> totally unrelated to powerlifting, but related to this story. So I called and left a voicemail and a, a girl who I legitimately wasn't dating or trying to date, just mm-hmm. a literal friend of mine whose name was Jesse. She was Cuban and Puerto Rican. I'm not sure which side this comes from but her so she's cuban and puerto rican yes you're lucky you didn't get stabbed yeah uh dad was cuban mom was puerto rican oh yeah oh boy they're pretty spicy yeah um and we were just good friends we hung out together and her her actual full name was jesenia and just went by jesse okay and so i would always call her jesenia just because i thought that was kind of funny and so i call and leave her a message on her voicemail in basically the same voice i am now and say jesenia give me a call back or something like oh that. Oh, my God. And, then, <laughs> and so then her dad's like, who in the hell is this old man calling you and leaving you a voicemail? What kind of fucking pervert is this? And she's like, that's just my friend Eric. He's like 15 years old. <laughs> so, good. And then they see you and they go, are you sure he looked 12? <laughs> right, exactly. I really looked young back then in high school, <laughs> undoubtedly. So, Oh, that's funny. Anyways, let's move on, Mr. Bain. That's the Stone Story stories, I guess. Stories, yeah. Two, a, a two for this week. A, a two for this week. But let's go on to our Plusa throwback. Throwback, throwback, throwback. We're going to go all the way back to September 98. I decided to stick with our 98 time. Yeah, because yeah, we were in the spring of 98 last week. Yep. So now we're in the fall of 98, and we've got on the cover here, we've got uh, Angelo. How do you pronounce that last name? It's obviously Italian. Uh, Berardinelli. Berardinelli, um, who's a lifter I do know. I don't know how to say his name very well. Um, but before we jump into that's it, why Mr. You, that's why you keep me around. <laughs> that's right. You can pronounce names. Um <laughs> Mr. Bain, uh, what were you doing in oh, September boy. 1998? So September 1998, if you listen to last week's, you know, where was I when, uh, I was actually in the process of being reinstated to our soccer team in my high school. Uh, I had a big blow up with my coach at that time. He got fired for selling weed to our seniors. and You're fired. Yeah. Wrong. Uh, he was wrong. He was an idiot. Uh, I also... I- ironically, mm-hmm. th- this is just a, a quick aside... My high school football coach got fired between my junior and senior year, which would have been a couple years after that. Yep. Uh, the rumor was always he got fired because he was smoking pot with players. That's awesome. And I don't know that he was selling it, but eh, I wouldn't have put it past him. Our, our he, Coach Boggan 100% was smoking and selling to our seniors and trying to do some of the underclassmen too. It's funny when you look back at things and like as uh, I'm, I, I feel like I've always, especially when I was younger, very naive and didn't realize context clues. Oh my gosh. Until like, it's like later it like snapped. You're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like that was this. And it's like, it was an overcast day and mm-hmm. our football coach, Coach Jay, Coach Jefferson was like, his head was just moving all over the place. It was overcast. He had sunglasses on. That's when he took amazing. Him, when he took him off, his his eyes were just as bloodshot as can be. And normally he was like, you want to talk about strength and anger. Like yeah. he made up like new curse words to curse at me. <laughs> <laughs> and like he was so calm that day. And he just, he just kind of like gave us like this really like long rambling lecture. And it's like, oh, that's why. I mean, he on other days he would like, I felt like I was the punching bag because sure. – I'm the kicker, so what the hell? I mean, well, of yeah. course, of course we'll yell at Stone. And I was 
particularly strong even back then. So I remember one day having a, a really shitty like kickoff in practice. Mm-hmm. And he just went on like a like a, you know like in wrestling you call it cutting a promo yeah like he literally cut a promo on me for five minutes like goddamn bullshit motherfucker stone you can fucking squat five hundred pounds but you can't even kick the ball thirty yards and went on for like that for five minutes and I was just like <laughs> okay you want me to go again <laughs> which which by the way if you're young you're listening to this that is the right answer to your coach right like That's it's just like I right just answer. sat there and just you I, just I, sit there and fucking take it I I was kind of used to that because my mom. I, she, my mom never cursed at us, but always yelled at us. Yeah. So I was kind of used to that. And so, like, you know, getting yelled at was just like, uh, okay, so what do, you want me to do, what do you want me to do now? Nice. <laughs> anyway, sorry to hijack your, your, no, your, 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 your 98. Yeah, no no big deal. My, I almost fucked up my whole 98 anyway. Uh, also, uh, during September 98, I got my first scholarship offer. Wow. And what year were you? Uh, I was a junior at that time. Okay. Yep. So to Loris College in, uh, in Dubuque, Iowa. Oh. Absolute fucking shithole. You know what's funny is I did... I want to say, what town is Lorison? Dubuque. Oh, okay. No, I did so, not. So where uh, the UPA meets are at? Yes. It's yes. Maybe, maybe three miles west. That's how I, I reckon. You know what? I used to go to a kicking camp that was at probably either UD. Pella, Pella Iowa. Pella's a couple hours west. Yeah, and that was in. Pella Windows. Right, and that was in Central College. Does that sound correct? Uh, yes. Okay. So I would go to a kicking camp at mm-hmm. Central College, and I remember one of the coaches that was from Loris. Gotcha. And he was kind of a, a douchebag. Yeah. They, it's a, it was a weird school, man. Like, so they, they were changing, like, the whole culture of their soccer program, which is, is a good soccer program now. Um, the, that would have, would have ended up being the class of, you know, 2004, 2003, whatever, uh, the 99ers and the 2000 high school graduates. He recruited, like, 50 players, 25 from each class. And then basically as the, you know, people would come to uh, camps and all that kind of stuff and all the seniors there working, like, man, there's a lot of kids here that potentially are coming to school. And he was looking and go, yeah, protect your fucking neck. I'm like, wow, savage. So, but he, he changed the whole culture there. And he's, uh, from what I'm told, I believe he's still there, actually. So he's going on 25 years. He's been the coach Wow, there. that's a long time. Yeah. So he's, for, he, for a college coach. Yeah. I mean, because college coaches at that level, I mean, they're changing constantly. Typically, yeah. Like my, I know my, my coach at my college, uh, Mount Mercy, I mean, Amir has now been there for, yeah, probably about the same amount of time. I think he started the year before uh, Coach Rother did. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, crazy that, you know, that was the first time I got a, uh, got a scholarship offer was while I was technically kick off the team. Yikes. So yeah, Stone, what were you doing? So I would have been a sophomore in high school. Yeah, fucking um, I, I don't know why I wrote playing soccer because I definitely wasn't playing soccer. That's a Freudian Wish, slip there. Wish, wishful thinking. Uh, I was playing soccer style kicker in football. As um, the superior style. Excellent. Uh, and that would have been, I think we talked about this last week, that would have been the year I injured my knee. Um, probably would have been literally yes. right around that time was September, October, because it was about eh, two, three, four weeks in. Mm-hmm. And then I missed about four games of the season and was able to come back. Um, I was playing receiver in a sophomore B game because mm. I was definitely the starting kicker, but especially once you get up to like the sophomore level, I was definitely not a level material for receiver or defensive back or whatever. Yeah, and, contrary to what I've told people, uh, Eric is not six three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when, it's always funny I tell this people, and it's <laughs> it's less so now because I think I'm probably starting more to look my age. Um, having kids, as Mr. Bain knows, mm-hmm. will definitively age you. Um, I think it's the sleep deprivation. What that are you gets trying you. to say, asshole? Um, I, I'm just saying that kids <laughs> age you. I'm I not do. saying you look old, although 
You, if you shaved off your beard, you'd look like a freaking baby face. Oh, yeah. I mean, people have seen pictures from, like, the, just the Arnold. Yeah, just a year ago, right? Yeah. So, um, anyway. But, uh, yeah, I would. Uh, people would always meet me in, when I first started going to meets and be like, oh, you're Eric Stone? I thought you were, I thought you were taller, bigger, and older. <laughs> so, um, nonetheless, that would have been the year that I, uh, I decided, you know what? If I'm going to play football, I'm just going to be a kicker. Yeah. I don't need all these other bullshit positions. That's fair. I'm um, getting injured. But that's fair. That's what I was doing um, back in 98. But what was going on in powerlifting? Well, we had, again, Angelo Bernadette. Ber- say it again? <laughs> bear Dinelli. Bear Dinelli. Um, he's on the, the cover, and it's actually... Somebody say bear. Uh, he is a squatting 644 on the cover from actually a meet in 94, and I'm guessing maybe just the, the time frame needed to find pictures and whatever. They used a two-year-old picture. Yeah. Um, but Angelo has a long history of competing. I mean, his open powerlifting, which, again, is an incomplete source. Right. He's got meets all the way back from 82 Jesus. to 2018 at the 2018 WPO Finals. Which proves what we talked about last week with why powerlifting, you literally can do this for life if you want to. Right. And, and, and granted, when he got into the 2010s, he was definitely sometimes competing once a year, maybe once every other year. Right. Um, but I mean, I still, I actually, follow I would assume him. still training during that time. Yeah. And I follow him on Instagram. He's definitely still training even mm-hmm. to this day. Wow. Um, he has best competition lifts of an 825 squat, a 540 bench and a 644 deadlift. He competed mostly at 165, 181, probably occasionally bumped up to 198. Um, mm-hmm. A lot at 181 seemed like where he sat, you know, in his later career at this time back in 98 um, at the 1998 APF Senior Nationals, he went 727, 462, and that's 727 squat, 462 bench, a 584 deadlift at 165 for good for first place and best lifter of the meet. Mm. Um, and this uh, this particular issue of Palusa had uh, results from that uh, 1998 APF Seniors. Um Angela would later go on to compete in the original WPO from 02 to 07. Didn't look like he was ever a winner, but he was always kind of up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that year, in 98, he would go on to win first at the WPC Worlds in Austria. Ooh. And Austria. if we ever get Ernie Franz on the podcast, uh, he can tell a story about how <laughs> he was plausibly almost assassinated at that meet in that, Austria. That is insane. It's a whole big story. I have heard it before from both Ernie and Maris. Unfortunately, Maris, who's passed away, probably told the story better. Um, but, yeah, it's a whole big thing with Carl Smith in Austria. Craziness. Uh, it's like I remember when Ernie told me that one as a teenager. Do we, we literally just got to get Ernie on here and just, let, like, just get a mic in front of him and just let him roll. Yeah, we probably have to go specific story by specific story. You gotta, you'll have to cue him at this gotta, point. Got to prime, prime the pump a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Um, we had APF Seniors results in this mm-hmm. issue, and only part one. Um, this was took place. I think we talked about this advertisement from last week. It, yeah. It did indeed take place July 4th and 5th, which – Seems pretty odd to run a meet on July Fourth weekend. It's so weird. Like, why would you do that? Uh, probably because it got a better deal on the hotel. I can tell you why. Fair. As fair. someone who's, I know Ernie was the type of guy that always wanted a deal. Gotcha. Um, but it took place July Fourth and Fifth, nineteen ninety eight, in Northbrook, Illinois. Um, Herb Glossbrenner. I mean, you got to give him some credit because he would literally do a weight class by weight class write up and write a couple sentences on almost every lifter. That's pretty dope. You know, I mean, uh, and I took a little screenshot and unfortunately our our pal Mike Goldman who was indeed we confirmed yeah, him we this did. week, he was in the top 100 that we printed off last week. Um 
he said that was the meat that he beat uh, Bill Nichols, who mm-hmm. was a really big Franz lifter, very super, super strong. Right. Um, who we talked about, I think, I don't know, a month or so ago as the guy who had the advertisement for the TP5000 knee wraps. Uh, yeah. 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 Like and he was a big Franz was, lifter, yeah. Bill Nichols. And, yeah. Um, Goldman was written up as, you know, Mike Goldman of Aurora, Illinois, bombed after three attempts <laughs> in the squat. Womp womp. Uh, so he had a good last week's uh, uh, episode this week, not so good. Right. Um, but he had a little write-up on almost everybody. Um, some other notable lifters from this. In this part one was all women and men up to 242. Mm-hmm. And, again, this was senior nationals, so it was only open, only multiply, because that's all the that's APF all. had. Um, Kim Summers. Not a name I'm familiar Where with. Where did the raw lifters lift? I don't understand. There was actually, if you looked in this issue, there was some some beginnings of raw lifting, even was, in the late 90s. Um, not many. Uh, the one Kim Summers won the 114s and one female best lifter. At 114, she squatted 451. Jesus. Benched 209 and deadlifted 358 for a 1,019-pound total at 114. That is pretty impressive. That's, I mean, damn near 10 times body weight. That's yeah. crazy. Paul Urchek, who is a pretty well-known lifter for many years, of Michigan. He recently passed away, too, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah, yeah I believe so. That was this year, maybe late last year. Yeah. Um, he uh, t- Time's a blur in 2020. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Uh, squatted 881, benched 485, deadlifted 760. Good enough for a 2132 total at 242. Um, our guy, Rudy Rosales of Overkill. Rudy Rosales. Of, of Overkill fame. Mm-hmm. Won the 181s with a 733 squat, 440-pound bench, and a 705 deadlift. And he looks the same age in that picture as he does now. And, yeah, I posted a picture on Instagram <laughs> of Rudy with, like, that, Love you, Rudy. With that classic Franz form of yes. super upright, wide yes. stance, knees out um, in the old-school Franz suit. And here was one of the interesting facts in reading the article is that Rudy missed 705 deadlift on his second attempt. And Herb Glossbender even made the note. He's like, I've never seen somebody wow. miss a deadlift and then somehow muster up the effort, strength to get it on their third. And I guess he, he missed his 705 deadlift on his second, came back and got it on his third. That's incredible. Like, I, I don't think I've ever really seen that either. That's I saw it once with one of our lifters on Team Stone where his form was just very bad on sure, his second sure. attempt. And we tweaked, I would say maybe even like – dialed it in maybe completely changed it on his third and sure. he grinded it out really really slowly um but i mean we're talking between the two of us almost 30 years <clears throat> of lifting and we're talking about one time <laughs> yeah i mean you usually <laughs> don't see somebody miss a deadlift on strength and then just come back and get it yeah not yeah. like sometimes with equipped squats or bench like you can you know get I something mean, actually it. yeah you can get something actually in the groove of the suit mm-hmm. and then you know come back and get it right um, we had a, and it's interesting. I just picked this, this issue at random. I didn't specifically pick it, but mm-hmm. we talked last week about Ed Cohn and his, um, IPF suspension. And lo and behold, in this issue, we had a letter from Graham Fong, the then IPF president mm-hmm. who talked about Ed Cohn's life suspension. And he said it was for his third drug infraction. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that the international court of arbitration for sport, the CAS yeah, denied, is, which Ed is like Cohn. a big fucking deal, by the way. Like, yeah, this is where like the if you go back to our episode about trans athletes, where a lot of decisions are made about athletes that are able to compete. Sure. So I mean, this was a very big deal that it went all the way there. 
and uh, they denied Ed Cohn's appeal on all counts. Mm -hmm. And the IPF had made no statement on Cohn's claims and said they needed to basically make their statement in court. Mm -hmm. And uh, the letter really doesn't say anything of substance, I'll have to say. Yeah. Um, It basically just says, you know, uh, we won in court. Bye, Eddie. Yeah, we won in court, and yes, Eddie's out. See you later. So, sure, sure, sure. Um, no we had problem. What a Gym Really Needs by Louis Simmons, which I think we talked about this maybe a month or two ago mm-hmm. when Louis had a similar list. This one, you know, obviously much older, um, you know, probably 10, 15, 20 years before that one. Jeez. Um, maybe more like 10 or 15. Um, the first thing he said first is attitude. Everyone needs to have the same goal. Everybody. I, I mean, that seems like more a need for a team than a gym. Correct. But so. to be fair, I don't think he differentiated the two. You're probably right. Um, second, machines are a waste. Wrong. And I assume he's talking about like selectro- selectrolyzed types of machines. But but, probably, yeah. But, I mean, that being said, Louis has a lot of machine work in his programming. He, he does. And I he mean, he sells machines. He sells machines. Yeah. So it's funny. I mean, I think he's, again, talking about fixed plane movement machines. Yeah. But even then, I think. And Louis also fucking crazy. Uh, granted, I do think that machines are probably overused by many, and I think free Correct. weights are better, but I think machines have their place. I mean, uh, he lists machines in this, like the reverse hopper. Yeah. Which, I mean, I would call that a machine. I mean, it's... it's He probably considers it because you're adding plates to it that it is that's a just, free weight machine. And then it's just a plate-loaded machine. I mean, right. So, anyways. I, I, I hear what you're saying. Anyways. I do, I do like machines, though, for... Especially like that first couple weeks after a meet... I really enjoy machines just for, you know, rehab, rehab, whatever you want to call it. But I, I really like that. Sure. Um, power rack with one-inch hole spacing. This is These are the list of things Louie listed. Mm-hmm. Board press boards, heavy dumbbells. Heavy duty. Safety uh, squat bar. Heavy duty. No, not, not heavy duty oh, safety squat bar. Squat heavy bar. duty stability ball. Ooh. So gotcha. that's – I don't know what the rating is for our stability ball, but I, and it's something I've gotten away from. But mm-hmm. he talks about having a really heavy-duty stability ball so you can do dumbbell pressing on them. Got it. Um, which actually is, I would say, a, a good exercise for shoulder stability. Mm-hmm. Um, weight releasers, chains, bands, bands, of course. A McDonald Cambered bar for benching, which is not one I'd thought about and something we haven't done. Yeah. We'll use the Duffalo Buffalo bar, which gives sure. you some camber. But he's talking about a you know like a like a four inch cambered bench Cause, bar. Because I know in in a previous life I actually have used not for an entire training cycle, but I've used a a rackable cambered bar to actually bench with. Yeah, I think he's talking about one that where like your hands are at a different level than where the bar touches you, so it increases the range of motion. Gotcha. And he talks about that probably that camber is too much too much of a stretch for most lifters. So sure. I think he talks about doing like a one or two board. With the cambered bar. Gotcha. Um, but I th- I actually think the, the Duffalo Buffalo bar, especially Duffalo, is better. Yes. Because it, it matches that that type of turn and extra rotation you want in your shoulders while still giving you, you know, maybe kind of like that one-inch extra range of motion on benching. Mm-hmm. Um, the Monterey, which is one I haven't used in a while. It's that's Have you seen a Monterey before? So the one that goes on your shoulders. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it basically makes the squat into a high a very very high bar squat and man it will hit the quads it seemed like west side in years past were really big on monterey close stance low box squats for deadlifts interesting like 12 inch box squats with a monterey um safety squat bar buffalo bar belt squat glute ham bench of course reverse hopper which you need to do four sets of 20 every single day right and, of course, a pulling sled. And then to do he, max ever sled work, when you replace that, 
using replacement effort for your squats. And he said, uh, Jim Veronin, this is a quote from Louis from the article. Jim Veronin was stuck at a 683 deadlift forever. We advised him to stop deadlifting and start dragging a weight sled. In four months, he did a 750 deadlift. <laughs> so, I, I didn't understand a single word of that, but okay. I'm not sure that necessarily, like, you know, dragging the sled moves his deadlift up, you know, 70 pounds. It was probably more some of the other work he did and maybe not burning out on deadlifts. Yeah, as I say, it was probably the, the actual rest of not deadlifting. You're right. But anyways, and right next to this article, we had Mark... Uh, can you think you can pronounce that one, Mr. Bain? Cavagioli. Yeah. Another Italian dude, mm -hmm. um, visited West side. He's, he didn't just, he didn't like introduce himself, but he sounded like a college strength conditioning coach. And the story he tells is pretty similar to the story told in West side versus the world yeah. where he tried to get a hold of Louie, but he couldn't. Um, and no one ever returned his calls and when he finally got to Columbus, he couldn't find the place and he stopped and someone gave him directions and he found it like in an old strip mall. There was no sign. The windows were blacked out. Jesus. And then when he went in there to talk, start to talk to Louie, Louie immediately put him on the reverse hyper and, <laughs> and followed him outside to do sled drags. <laughs> so it's, and he said he was like in like his regular clothes. He wasn't even in like his workout stuff. He just wanted to go and visit and like talk to Louie. Um, so, anyways, it's just a Louis Simmons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we had an interesting uh, another Herb Glossbrenner list. We had the chronology of champions for women's senior nationals um, from APF, mm -hmm. and this was from '86 to '98. Wow. Um, our uh, pal, our my pal, Maris Sternberg, was the champion in '89, '91, '92, '94. Don Reschel of the original formula for the APF, the Reschel formula, which mm -hmm. was replaced by the Glossbrenner. Don Reschel was the champion in, uh, this is an all 198-pound class. Right. Uh, Don Reschel was the champion in 87 and 88. Um, Mayor Sternberg was also the champion in the super heavyweights in 86, 87, 93. So it seems like the year she wasn't in the 198, she was in the super heavyweight. Um one of the lifters that we have uh, talked about quite a bit here, Amy Weisberger, mm -hmm. was the champion in the 123-pound class in 91, 96, and 97. Um, skipping around, uh, Stephanie Vanderwiggy, uh, mm -hmm. semi-local. She's from Wisconsin. She was the 165 champion in 93, 94, 97, 98. Ernie Franz's wife, Diane Franz, was the champion of the 148 class in 86, the first, uh, I believe, and it, 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 I would assume that that was the first at least women's national champion. That's what it seems like. Is, uh, was 1986. Um, you had Dora Simmons, who was the champion of the 105-pound class in 87, 89, 1990, 93, 94. So uh, Louis Simmons' wife. <laughs> Was uh, quite oh, and she was also the one one fourteen champion in ninety five. So very active. Um, we talked about I think we talked last week or the week before about uh, Mariah Liggett. She was the champion of the one thirty two class from eighty six to ninety one every single year, for eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety, ninety one. So for that was that six years straight. Yeah, she was the national champion. Um, so those were just some some lifters that that stood out to me. I might have actually clipped that and post on the APF Instagram page just because it's interesting. But yeah. what I thought was even more interesting is just going through the dates and locations. And I assume 
I don't know this 100% for certain, but I believe at this point the senior nationals for the APF were never split men and women. Right. So these probably were the locations for both the men and women senior nationals. So the first was 1986, March 8th through 9th in Canton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. In 87, it was the 15th of February. That's really early. Jeez. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ew. I, I would anticipate maybe in these early years they were trying to maybe do an opposite calendar from the USPF sure. and maybe attract lifters to do both. Um, however, they moved to the summer from pretty much there on out, um, and that's where it's kind of stayed. We've moved a little earlier, mm-hmm. and this is much later, but uh, July 16th and 17th in 1988 was in Columbus. They returned to Columbus in 1989 for July 22nd and 23rd. Mm-hmm. They went to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for three years, 1990 and July 28th and 29th. In 1991, July 6th and 7th, again, very close to the 4th of July. Yeah. And then 1992, July 25th and 26th, we moved to Charlottesville, Virginia, August 7th and 8th in 1993. We were finally, and I'm surprised that none of these were run in the Chicago area yeah, all wrong? these years. Yeah, I mean, because this was Ernie Franz's organization. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, a Chicago meet that Ernie Franz likely ran July 1st through 3rd. Again, very close to the 4th July weekend. What is up with that, man? In 1994, that'd be a good question for Ernie. Yeah. Um, we ran down in Dallas, Texas, July 15th and 16th in 1995. Atlanta, Georgia, May 31st through June 1st, which is mm, closer to the time frame we do now. Oh, yeah, yeah. In 1996. Um, Atlanta, Georgia, June 21st and 22nd. That's definitely more like the time frame we yeah, do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1997, and then this, uh, the aforementioned Northbrook, Illinois, July 4th and 5th in 1998. So pretty interesting chronology there for the APF done by our guy, Herb Glossbender of the Glossbender Formula. Um, we had uh, an advertisement for Karen Kidder's Bench Bash for Cash, which at that time was just, you know, just a, an APF meet. He had not right. started the WPO, but he had already started kind of the cash meets that was going to be run at his gym. Um, and that was going to be August, or excuse me, October 11th, 1998, $6,000 in, in total prizes. Nice. We had an advertisement for the Mountaineer Cup. The infamous Mountaineer And Cup. I'm not sure if this was the first year, but it was, uh, this was advertised like a year in advance. Uh, maybe less than a year, but this is advertised for June 26, 1999, $60,000, 60K in prize money. Wow. And they were using what I thought was most interesting was they were going to be using a double elimination um, f- type of format for the meet. Okay. There was going to be no weight classes, just top weight lifted. So I guess favors all the super heavyweights. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I guess the, all the weight, other weight classes. In later so years. You don't fuck, fuck off, right? <laughs> and this was run under APA, WPA rules. You can listen to our uh, Alphabet Soup of Powerlifting. That was right, a, right. Uh, an offshoot of the APF run by Scott, still run by Scott Taylor. Um, it, the Mountaineer Cup would eventually become a USPF meet, and from my understanding, would follow a much more traditional format. Although I think we talked about in a, a previous episode where they talked about like the the partner type of thing in the Mountaineer Cup, where like it would be like Eric Stone and Robert Bain were a team, right? And you know you could there was some kind of draft thing that they so interesting. It seemed like Nick Busick, who was the guy who ran the Mountaineer Cup, always wanted to do something a little bit different. I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to put more gambling because you know that was at the mountaineer i don't know if it's a casino or whatever um 
and he was trying to get gambling to get into so powerlifting. He, so he was trying to get. Oh my God. He was trying to get gambling into powerlifting because he thought that's where the money would come from. Interesting. Um, so it was going to use a double elimination format where what could go wrong? Get the mafia involved. Where uh, after squats, the top two thirds only would move on to bench. Mm-hmm. So the bottom third are done after squats. After bench, only the next top third would move on to deadlift. So, so again, all, all you deadlift specialists are fucked. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's definitely <laughs> only a full meet, and yeah, I mean, which that, that that when I think about that, it's like, well, what if somebody really has a great deadlift, and that's where they can make up their right, ground, right? Um, but that was the format they used at least in night. Well, supposedly, I'm not sure if that's actually what happened. That's what he had advertised. That's super interesting. Like, I, I if nothing else, I would love to do like a meet like that. I think that'd be really interesting. Just like just one time. Like, I, I don't like foresee that being the future of powerlifting. I think that'd be really interesting to do a meet like that. It certainly would favor the big squatters. I mean, you would definitely that would definitely be something that would favor. Or, or maybe you use like the glass burner as as the way to, to cut off. That sure, turn. but even then, I mean, you're, you're going to be favored by better squatters. Sure. Um, we had the results of the 1998 AAPF Nationals, which was one of the first years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly. I think it was somewhere in the mid to mid 90s that we started the AAPF. It was, I believe, shortly after um, our plausibly future president. And others passed the uh, Steroid Control Act, which uh, made anabolic steroids a Schedule Three drug. Dumb. It was shortly after that that uh, we just <laughs> the, the Ernie was you know encouraged by many to start a drug tested side of the APF mm-hmm. with the same rules um, because the lifters didn't let go into uh, at that time. I think your only choices were probably the ADFP A, which would become the USAPL. Um. Although, ironically, back in the early days, the ADFPA used a monolift. Now, they were single-ply versus multi-ply. Um, Gold standard. Broad uh, standard. Bullshit. Wrong. Um, May 23rd through 24th, 1998, in Aurora, Illinois, this was run by Dr. Daryl Latch. Wow. Um, and this is later of Sunlight Power fame that we've talked about yeah. quite a bit. Um my recollection is that it was shortly thereafter, maybe even after this meet, uh, it fits the time frame that Latch would no longer run APF, AAPF meets. <laughs> um, I remember hearing stories, especially from thank, Maris. Thank you, sir. Your services will no longer need Yeah. I remember hearing from Maris that, uh, and it might have been this meet, that uh, Daryl Latch would run AAPF meets and not perform any drug tests. Womp womp. And this might have been the meat that he that broke the camel's back. Gotcha. When I started in two thousand, he was only running SLP meats and then he was he was oot. He had like bought up uh some like other organizations like names. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about last week or the week before, like hundred percent at that time was USA Raw and that could have just been a no name, but there was some kind of quasi powerlifting bodybuilding group that he like Jesus. just bought the name and was running powerlifting meets under their banner. Um, we could ask our buddy Tom Carnegie. He did a lot of their meets. Sure. Another guy who we also uh, saw some pictures in this Powerlift USA. Mm-hmm. There was a picture in this one uh, from our buddy Dick Zenzen, who nice. is another guy I'd like to have on the podcast. He's got some stories. He's uh, he's wearing a Franz denim suit deadlifting wow. um, at this meet. I actually uh, grabbed that picture and texted it to him. Um, so interesting. Did he know how to text back? Or? He did. Yes, <laughs> he did. Sorry, Dick. We had the. He won't probably listen to this. He doesn't know how to do it. He will will not. Top 100 from 1997 to 1998, July of 97 to June of 98. Top 132s um, from West (laughs) Sad. We have Doug Heath 
number one in the squat with 605, and he is 100 pounds above anybody else. That's crazy. I mean, the next guy is... Muscular versus hypers. The next guy is T. Taylor with a 501 squat, and then it goes to Washington, 495. So Doug Heath, far and away number one. We had G. Ware was number one in the bench press with 424, but Doug Heath, number two, with 410. E. Montgomery, top of the deadlift with 610. Lamar Gant, 584, very, very well-known lifter. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have Doug Heath down, looks like number 4-5 with 510, because at Westside, we focused on the squat and the bench press. <laughs> and he had the top deadlift with a fifth, or top total, excuse me, with a 1525 total. And wow. he is, again, over 100 pounds over the next highest, which was T. Taylor with 1416. And then he is 100 pounds above Lamar Gant, who has a 1306. So Doug Heath is 200 pounds above the third place person Jesus. in uh, 1998. So Good for he, him. So he is uh, he is quite far ahead. And I should have mentioned that our Palooza throwback is brought to you by Deathwish Barbell. Hashtag Razizi. You can find them on Instagram at Deathwish Barbell. Um, let's get into the topic at hand of the day, Mr. Bain. Yeah. Like you said, let's argue. Let's let's fight. Um, so if you're not familiar, if you haven't listened to any of our other episodes. Um, we call these our devil's advocate episodes. And basically the premise is Bane or I will take a position which we may or may not actually hold Correct. for the sake of argument. And typically what we will take is the the poppy position. Mm-hmm. You know, we did one that was all powerlifting should be drug-free. Um, I believe Wrong. we did one that uh, equipped lifting is cheating. Wrong. So today we will do powerlifting has too many feds, which, ac- which is actually something that I think a lot of people have the position of. Um, and Mr. Bain is going to take that position today. I am. So let, let's let's get into it, Mr. Bain. So we, we broke this down into a couple of different points. Let's just start. Like, one, powerful has too many feds. The competition gets too spread out. You know, if, if you look back at a lot of these meets, and we talk about the powerlifting USA throwback, you know, the, the best lifters all went to the same meets. Many times you would see these numbers, they're coming from the same meet, the same fed, uh, and the competition was deep. And, you know, the joke is always now the, the participation trophy because, cool, it was great that you won your, you know, 148 classic raw where it was you and the one guy who bombed out or didn't show up. So definitely the, the, the competition is, is spread too, too thin. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> I, we joked about it, at, you know, when I went to Atlantic City, I called it Atlantic City Record Breakers because nearly every single lift was a world record. So you have national and world records, and when you break it up with the you know sixty some federations that are here in the U.S., and then you I have, don't know that there's quite that many. Uh, take a look. I mean, that are actually actively running meets. I mean, let, for let's, for twenty twenty maybe not. Yeah, I mean, but let, let's let's count off the ones that we can think of in our head. So we've okay, definitely so got APF. We'll count APF. APF is one. Sure. USAPL. USPA. U- USPA. What's the new one? Uh, US- USPAC or so. I fuck. I don't know the child touchers. U- um, USPA. Offshoot. Yes. We've got APA, very small. Yes. We've got NASA. SPF. SPF. UPA. RPS. RPS. Metal IPA. Militia. Metal Militia. Uh, so, that's, I mean, that's just off the top of my head. But that's, I think that's if 11. You, if you dig into... Well, here's the thing, too. If you dig into open powerlifting... USPF, there's USPF, another, yeah. which don't run, don't run as, as many meets anymore. Correct. AAU, there's another. We're yeah. up to 13. So, anyway... Lots of different federations, and all of them have their own national and world records. And so the federation record holders, which, don't get me wrong, when you have a world record, very rarely you could try to explain to somebody, oh, it's a federation world record. And so it does, it just waters everything down. 
And, you know, one of the things that I talked about, because this is, I'll be honest, I've been accused of this too, is some people will hide in certain federations and they will refuse to come out of that. And so by, to me, again, it's just, it's too spread out and, and it doesn't create the best competition in my view. So would love to hear your thoughts on that, Eric. Well, uh, my point would be if, if the idea is competition, uh, let, let's be honest, 95% of the lifters, they're just average run-of-the-mill lifters. They're just Joe Blow lifters, mm -hmm. and they're just filling space. If we're talking about actual true competition, USAPL Raw Nationals has 900 lifters, mm -hmm. but yet most of the lifters are just filling space. And that's not to denigrate they're what they're doing but as we're talking about the actual competition it seems like the only actual competition is their prime time mm -hmm. slots where there's i don't know do they take the top five in each it's weight like class 10, it's like 10 top, 10 20 maybe top top 15 maybe in each weight class those are the only ones that are actually truly competing against one another um the best lifters are always going to find competition the, the, the lifters that actually want competition there's a lot of talk about back in the day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I looked at, now, granted, this was already when things were starting to offshoot, but I, I've looked at some of these meet results from USPF Nationals, APF Nationals. There weren't that many lifters back in the day. I mean, sure, there was some good lifters that continually competed against one another. Um, there just weren't nearly as many lifters back then. So, sure, the same, you know, 10 lifters in the 220 class would come compete against each other, but now... And part of this we can talk about is the proliferation of differing rules. Um, you have all these different iterations of powerlifting that, sure, they have, uh, you know, different versions of the national champion. Mm -hmm. um, anybody can call themselves anything they fucking want because nobody— Especially in 2020. Because <laughs> nobody, nobody outside powerlifting really even cares. Like, your family cares. Your, your wife maybe cares. Your kids maybe care. Your mom and dad care. Nobody else cares— and lifters with a with a true frame of reference, they know that the all-time world records, that an IPF world record, that a WPC equipped record that has, you know, as we talked about, going back to 1986, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 40 years almost of basis in it, those those are the true records. I mean, if somebody tells me they have an APA world record, it's like, great. If somebody tells me they have a Metal Militia National National Record, it's like, I mean, cool, you, you, you broke a record that no one's lifted in that category before, and that's great, but that doesn't make you a world record holder. Okay. Uh, there are only a few truly competitive lifters in any given discipline. I mean, look at Raw Nationals with 1,000 lifters, mm -hmm. and how many of them are actually truly competitive in their given weight class. Then we look at the WPO. Yes, there's some competition there, but it's literally only 15 people in each gender that are competing against each other. And sure, that's not a lot of lifters, but it's well, great. Well, we use the, the New York standard of gender, then yeah, we'll be a lot more lifters. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, that might get it out. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, if we look at that, sure, there's only 15. There's only 30 lifters that the, the WPO Superfinals, maybe less. But there's great competition there because it's the best of the best truly competing with each other. The cream's going to rise to the top. And um, for the most part, it doesn't even – for the average lifter, I mean, we're talking about your average lifter is basically like Joe Blow going and running a half marathon or a 5K, maybe even more as a, a closer analogy. D does anyone really care where they place what the competition is in, like in the, the local average 5K in their age category? No, no one cares. More than likely not. But what I will say is 
where a lot of the you know above average lifters come from is that average group, and so it does tend to spread them thin. And it does. It, my view is it doesn't push people as much. When you get deeper competition, it is going to it deep it deeper at the average level. It is going to push more cream to the top. That's my counterpoint on that. So I suppose. So here's the thing. It's like we'll, we'll play devil's advocate, but a lot of times Eric and I are also going to say, okay, the, there's some merit to your argument. I mean, don't be wrong. Like, Eric's just wrong. But, uh, you know, there, there is some merit to some of the arguments that we're going to present. So it, th- this one is one that I've always thought of, like, as I dove into the sport, is just all these feds. Like, we, we have a whole episode on the alphabet soup of fucking federations. Where do you start? What the hell are these feds? What Like... To me, that is one of the most challenging things is trying to, one, decide where you're going to compete and then to explain to people where to compete. If you're going to be try to, you know, try to be that helpful, you know, lifter and, and teammate, uh, you know, it, it just, it's frustrating to me that, you know, you have the people that post, hey, I'm a, you know, state record holder in the, the bench press, you know, uh, in deadlift only, you know, what? It's so just with all these different federations and, and everything that we've got, it's so frustrating. It's so tough for the average lifter and even the average non-lifter to understand what's all going on. And, and that, you know, does lead me back. I know we joke about it with the USAPL, but at some point you do want to have this idea of a gold standard. You do want to have that at some point. And, and so to me, it, it just, it's frustrating that you're, you're not always going to have that when you've got, you know, all these feds that can either a, some will, you know, definitely claim to be the gold standard, but more, more often than not, to me, what it seems like is it is confusing to, especially the new lifter. Yeah, I mean, new lifters are confused, but new lifters are going to be confused no matter what, as someone who talks to many new lifters. Hence, <laughs> hence stone stories. <laughs> hence, hence stone stories. Hence why we run a beginner's powerlifting meet. Hence why, you know, we have an entire episode on lifting in your first meet. You can lay out the average. If we're going to talk about the average lifter, we can lay out the exact details for the meet, and the, quote, average lifter still can't figure it out. Case in point, the lifter that texted me yesterday morning with a question that said, oh, I lost all your emails. <laughs> is, there an, is there a morning and afternoon? This, this part was really frustrating to argue because I'm like, dude, you, Eric talks to so many lifters and the silly shit that he hears, like he's going to smoke me on this one. Well, he texts me and says, "Is there? I lost all my emails. Is there a morning and afternoon weigh-in for Friday? Guarantee you there's a nude in there. You still have that email, by the way. It's thrown it out there. Yes. <laughs> yes, there's a morning and afternoon weigh-in. And then he's like, well, what time? And at that point, I'm just aggravated because I'm trying to set up for the morning. I just reply back with apf-lenoy.com. Like, go to the website, do five seconds of research, look for the entry form, look for the social media post, it's been posted everywhere. So the average lifter can't even make two clicks and go to meets, upcoming meets, and then click on meet info and figure out. Well, I got the APF Tennessee page. You didn't have any info on there. So, and I would say that, <laughs> that lifters, you know, lifters should compete where they want. And what does it really matter if they compete in a bunch of different areas? Um, why would it make sense, for instance, you know, because we're like, okay, it's confusing for the average lifter. Well, I want, I want to start playing basketball, okay? okay? I want to start playing recreational basketball. I played in high school, just like the average lifter that says to me, like, oh, you know, I got, I got started playing in high school. I want to get back into basketball, competitive basketball. Sure. Am I going to call up the NBA and ask them if I can join a league? I mean, you could. <laughs> you got to find it. Like, or am I going to call up USA Basketball, which is the – comparable organization to USA powerlifting? Am I going to call them up for 
a you know a local basketball league? Well, no. I'm going to go find some local YMCA league or church league or park district league or whatever. T- to be honest, the average powerlifting meet for a lot of lifters is more comparable to a church basketball league than it is the Olympics for the average lifter. And that's not to denigrate it because, hey, I played church basketball. It's really fun, fulfilling. It's a good time. And you put on a lot of meets. <laughs> right. So I don't have any issue with the meets. Uh, but if lifters actually care, they'll do some research and they'll figure it out. And most don't, and they don't really care, and they'll just go to the meet where, you know, there isn't that much competition, and they'll I get their person. I pers- almost feel like this is like a diatribe on our, losing our faith in humanity. <laughs> and they'll, and they'll, they'll earn their participation trophy, and they'll go on to their next meet. Well, 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 that's an argument I've heard a lot is that it's too confusing. And it's like, I guess my, my answer would be like, life is confusing. Life requires asking questions. Sure. Uh, you know, sure. Would it be in the idealistic world? Could I type in powerlifting and poof, something comes up and gives me all the information I need? And sure, I get it. I made a website years ago, chicagopowerlifting.com, as a one-stop resource for lifters to find out information about powerlifting in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So I get it, but at the same time, even if it was still one federation or maybe a few federations, which is what maybe people suggest, people are still going to ask stupid questions. Just if you don't think that lifters are still going to ask stupid questions, go on the USPA Instagram page when they do their live Q&A and they answer (laughs) questions and just read through some of the most ridiculous questions you've ever seen in your entire life. Um, So I I guess my point would be lifters are probably going to be confused anyways. And so it doesn't really matter whether there's one fed or 10 feds. Again, I think this is us just losing our faith in humanity, but. uh. (laughs) (laughs) And this is not me trying to cut a promo on all you lifters out there that have asked me questions. So, and I actually wanted to make this point in stone stories. I, I, I don't mind lifters asking questions. In fact, I encourage you to ask me questions if you need points of clarification my only struggle comes when I go, as we talked about with the WPO, when I feel I, I, I perhaps go, I don't know if above and beyond is the right word, but I, I am proactive in getting information out to people to try to answer those questions ahead of time because I've gotten those questions for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And so I get it. I've been there. Um, I brought gloves to my first powerlifting meet. I was an idiot, too. My only issue comes when lifters don't go and do five seconds of research themselves and look up like, oh, is there an entry form or a page that has maybe all the information I need? No, instead, I'll just text the meet director and ask him a question. That's my only struggle. And a very general one at that. Right. It's like, when are the weigh-ins? Like, you know, if there's a really specific question like, hey, like, I don't have a thumb, can I lift thumbless in the meat? <laughs> Which still would be kind of a ridiculous question, but at least it's a specific one. You know, I was thinking, like, uh, combining a few stone stories here, right? If somebody's actually went to the weigh-ins and you said Friday, and they said for the meet in March, like, I, I can see that happening. Right, exactly. <laughs> Those are the type of questions I get. That, so. It's not wrong. So, so, so this is one I think that we, we talk about, and people joke about quite a bit, too, is that, you know, because of all these different organizations that are out there, they all kind of have their own play on the rules too. And almost as if they do their own version or their own, like they just kind of make up as they go along sometimes. Uh, you know, I mean, really, like, how do you compare a walked out raw squat to a mono multiply squat? 
they they they're 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 different movements and therefore different sports. And so you want to have an organization that you know can somehow bring those together because again we we talk about powerlifting, you know. By having all these different organizations and all these different moves, it, it gets super confusing for everybody. And, I mean, hell, asking who has the biggest squat becomes one of those complicated questions you have to explain to people. Because you say Hoff, if you want to go a little deeper, you have to explain, like, yeah, he does wear equipment, and the equipment does help support him, but it's not doing the work for him. So, it, it's it again, I, I feel that that gets confusing. And then you have organizations that can't agree on, I mean, hell, weigh-in times. You know, I, I one of the things that we know down here is they, they don't agree on squat depth. I would say they don't enforce squat depth for sure, <laughs> the same. Um, but if you look at every rule book, technically that is the same thing. The IPA did have a difference when they started, and that that was caused a lot of controversy. Right. And they actually were out of the powerlifting USA top 100 until they changed their squat squat depth rules. Although the the skeptics would say their squat depth enforcement was the same regardless of the rule. <laughs> Um, I forget what it's uh, what it read. It read something like you know get the the hip joint below the knee or something like that. Nah, that's that's um, a whole different animal than the yeah. The and they did change it to the same rule as everyone else, but yeah. uh, but, enfor- but enforcement is really like I think that's honestly if you look at where so much of the confusion lies and where so many of these federations come from, it is that squad depth and bench call or press call enforcement. Those two things right there, I think, cause the mo- cause more controversy than anything, in my view, uh, and and leads to all these different federations because people want we want to we want a standard that we can all live by, and it's it, it's all different. Whereas if we keep it together and try and you know, I, I hate sounding kumbaya with this, but if we can actually talk this out and work it out, like that's how you you fix this stuff, not just well I don't like your rules, so fuck it, I'm gonna go make my own federation. Uh you know, so I, I think that's that is a, a big issue that I've got. Uh, you know, hell, where your feet should be on the uh, on a bench press. You know, can it be on your toes? You have to be flat footed. I mean, these to me seem to me to be a little more arbitrary, and but it creates entirely different federations, and it's silly. So I think that that just that that also to me potentially prevents some lifters from coming in because like you know what, this is just too confusing. Fuck this, I'm not doing it. Sure. Uh, I mean, I would say, if anything, the fact that there is such disparity in rules in powerlifting gives credence to the need for more powerlifting federations. I would say, yes, raw and geared are almost different sports. In fact, there was a suggestion online years ago that equipped lifting, multiply lifting, changed their name to max lifting instead of powerlifting, which Hmm. actually I didn't dislike. I don't know if I liked the actual name max lifting. But that's what effort. Right. But I mean, you could make a, a reasonable argument that they are different movements. A monolift multiply squat is definitively different than a walked out raw squat. Um, they're similar. They're in the same vein. But, you know, I, I always. Same language, different dialect. Right. I, I always use the race car example. I mean, when you compare, you know, like actual cars drag racing on the street to quote stock cars and NASCAR to Indy cars to whatever those crazy things that only go like a hundred feet and they're super long and have a giant engine. Oh, the, uh, the funny cars, whatever they're funny cars. Right. I mean, those are all car races, right? They're all under the racing Mm -hmm. umbrella, 
But uh, you can't even make the argument that Funny Car and NASCAR are even, like, they're not even close to one another. Like, one, you're basically just blowing forward, like, you know, like, what, a, a thousand feet? Mm-hmm. And the other one, you're driving in a circle for hours upon end. And then you got IndyCar that you're driving all over the place. Uh, these are all very different sports. Would we care if the local drag race down the road <laughs> is following NASCAR rules? Like, who cares? I mean, because, again, this is not to denigrate it, but the average local powerlifting meet is closer in a racing perspective. It's closer to the drag race that, you know, is set up underground in northwest Indiana than a NASCAR so, event. So that also won't be counted on open powerlifting. <laughs> because it's, uh, it's underground, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there are always an infinite number of differences in every sport and every situation. Powerlifting is no different. There are probably more vast differences in powerlifting than other sports, but I'll give the baseball example. You know, we compare home runs, which is super very objective, now versus before. And let's take the steroids out of it because that's all bullshit. Yeah, that's all, yeah. That's all bullshit, but... It's a different. Did, did, did a couple episodes on that. It's fine. Right. It's a different now. Right now, it's a different mound. They use different bats. They have different balls. Even even back then and now, there are the fields are not uniform, mm-hmm. but we're counting home runs the same. Is a Wrigley Field home run the same as a Comiskey Park or whatever the hell they call it now? Home run the same as a you know uh, a Yankee home Stadium run over the you're right Yankee Stadium versus hitting the, one over the Green Monster the, like the Kingdom in Seattle. Right. So we all call them home runs, but they all could be vastly different lengths. You know, the example of like, you know, people ask like, what's your biggest bench? What's your biggest squat? What is the biggest bench? How much you bench? What is the biggest squat? And like, it, it does get kind of complicated. I used to get this question a lot when I was younger. And to be honest with you, if anybody ever asks you any number, your number, the world records, the average person has literally no idea anything about powerlifting or lifting weights at all. And inevitably, if you tell them, well, I, you know, I've squatted 700 pounds in competition with, with gear, they're going to talk about their uncles, cousins, second (laughs) brothers, fourth mailman right who played football <laughs> in high school and squatted 800 in their basement but for now five, they, for five reps right but now they just do leg extensions and leg curls because they hurt their back right and you know their cousin was in you know a d1 uh football player and he squatted 900 completely raw mm-hmm. and it was ass to grass and that's the, the only way you should squat yeah, he was naked <laughs> so when we talk about the average person having an understanding I think they do have a better understanding now than they did maybe 20 years ago, but the average person really has no idea what powerlifting is other than maybe that there's a squat bench and deadlift in there. And I always make the argument that I don't know that the rule... Now, the, the rules on monolith versus not, mm-hmm. uh, multiply gear versus raw, drug testing, which we haven't talked about, drug testing versus not, those are definitive differences in the rules, right? granted. And I don't know that you would ever be able to have detente on some of those items. Um, but when you talk about squat depth, that's just bad judging. Everybody basically has the same rule. And I would say bad judging the opposite direction, requiring more than the rule book requires is, is as bad as requiring less. And when I've literally sat there next to IPF judges at an unsanctioned high school meet and been yelled at, because they thought that the kid wasn't deep enough. Another one of my favorite stone stories, right. to be honest. Because <laughs> they, they, they didn't think the kid was deep enough in his T-shirt and shorts, and they were judging it like the IPF worlds, and, I, and they said it was as parallel as it can be. Okay, it looked into me. And 
they're using the IPF World's, you know, uh, standard for this unsanctioned T-shirt and short high school meet. And it's like, to me, that's as bad as uh, allowing a house a high squat, maybe worse. So bad judging is not the same as different rules in my mind. Um, so, yes, there are different rules. And, and, I, and I would say, though, like, when we talk about different rules, so talk about squat depth, you know, again, I, I hate to always pick on the USAPL, but they – they typically enforce at a quote unquote lower standard. The, the this is before your time, but there was an article that came out from a USAPL judge and coach, mm-hmm. and it was called "Convincingly Deep." This is where this term came from. Sure, he wrote an, a blog post and he talked about how he recommended his lifters squat convincingly deep because the judging, especially at USAPL nationals, they he said was even more. And I, I heard this directly. From Dennis Brady, mm-hmm. uh, owner of B&W Gym. Uh, here in Chicago, U- yeah. Yeah, here in Chicago. He said the judging at USAPL Nationals is more strict than IPF Worlds at that time. This was back in the early, mid-2000s. He said it would gotten ridiculous. And this was around this time this article was written by a guy, I believe in Nebraska, that talked about how he told his lifters to go convincingly deep because he, basically he said the side judges want to be able to make sure that you're in depth without – Moving from sitting upright in their chair, which that that's something that I've I have seen as well, and that's another issue that I've got with, you know, again, it, this is to your point about bad judging. Be willing to move around and get a, the best angle versus the lifter has to work around you. Sure. So I I, I, I guess yeah I guess my point would be yes every organization has their own version of the rules. To some degree, what does it really matter? Like, I mean, sure, it's just like when you play, you know, a church basketball league with three quarters court, and you only play you with call your own fouls, and you yeah, you call your own fouls. You only play with four players. We used to play in like what they called a father son league, so uh, you always had to play with at least two high schoolers and two adults. Mm-hmm. It was this kind of weird rule where you're supposed to have like older and younger. It wasn't supposed to just be an adult league, yeah, yeah, and sure, so we sure. would recruit local high school kids to join our team because <laughs> we didn't have a father son thing anymore we were out of high school at that point sure um you know again use the the race car example of course you know a local race that's using like actual stock cars is probably going to have slightly different rules than nascar which is going to have certainly different rules than indycar racing and i don't even know that much about racing i would just assume just looking at the cars the rules are vastly different from organization to organization so uh, th- this is in the same vein of all this is that, you know, we make the joke that somebody doesn't like a rule or somebody doesn't like the politics of powerlifting and so they make their own federation. And, and so what it feels like a lot of times is that, you know, people just don't want to work from within. Like, like they don't want to try to solve the issues and actually grow the sport. It's like, hey, I'm going to grow the sport simply by starting my own thing because I'm, I'm going to be the one who gets rich off of it. I'm going to be the one who figures it out. You know, we, we talk about there's different versions of rules, but they are very similar, you know. Uh, with the APF, SPF, UPA, IPA, RPS, APA, we already mentioned some of these, you know, the different federations out there. Most have all their rule, their roots in the APF. And again, we talk about these political reasons people leave, which again is silly. You have your fucking feelings hurt. Oh, I'm going to start my own federation now. And that, that, that bugs me. It's like, you know, work this out like, like fucking adults. And, you know, if we looked at a consolidation of feds, then, you know, what we start to look at is now you you are you are forcing lifters together to to compete and, and then also you get at, you know access to more you know more venues, more equipment. There's almost like a territorial issue too, where it's like, you know, are we gonna see an APF meet uh, in Dubuque, Iowa anytime soon? Probably not. No. You know, um 
it, that, that, that kind of bugs me. Like, I wouldn't mind necessarily going back to, to Eastern Iowa and, you know, competing if that was an option. Uh, are we going to see APF meets out in no Oregon anytime soon? Probably not because there's not an affiliation out there, right? Or at least not a big enough one. So it, it, it just, it to me, it's not an all or nothing. Like, you don't have to just take your ball and go home. And you, you, you can try to work those things out. And, you know, the the systems that are in place, you know, the the bigger the federations get, by the way, and as much as people don't like them, one of the reasons why the USAPL can put on a production like 2019 Raw Nets is because they have, you know, consolidated a lot of other, you know, state federations that are, do feed up into them, and there's fucking money there. You know, and so at the end of the day, like, what is driving these decisions? It is money. And so why not try to pool those resources? If we all want to, you know, think about this. If, we, if we're the multi-ply community, and I, I consider myself part of that community right now, and we want to take down the USAPL, pull your fucking resources. A bunch of degenerates, you know, that li- lift with, you know, machine suits essentially are not going to take down this 10,000, you know, 12,000 strong organization on their own. So I mean, if, if that's the goal, if you want to have, you know, an equally strong fed, then pull your resources together is my, my idea to, to make that all work. Yeah. I mean, it sounds good, but at the end of the day, the free marketplace is going to determine whether or not a fed survives and maybe we should all- have comrade Biden and comrade Pritzker help us with putting the feds together. Well, and that is to be fair, that's what happens in other countries. I mean, in <laughs> South Africa, we were, we, the WPC was kicked out because the government said France the, shit. The, well, yeah. In France, they weren't even allowed to call it an international meet. Um, you know, the government has come down in certain countries and said, the only powerlifting that can exist is the IPF. And so in the U S because Dumb. we, because we do have the free marketplace, um, you, we are allowed to have different organizations and it, you know, if no one enters a meet these, like if no one entered APA meets anymore or, uh, IPA meets anymore, which are, you know, very, at this point, small UPA, that's not to say they're bad, but they're very small regional organizations. If nobody entered them, they wouldn't exist anymore. Uh, and if there was a hole in the marketplace, Hey, another fed would jump in there and take that. You know, there's an argument to be made that some of these smaller regional federations could perhaps serve the local lifters' needs better. When you have a giant bureaucracy like the USAPL, if you want if you want something to be able to change, it's it, as an average lifter, you basically have no power. Versus in the APF, which is definitely a national organization, but has you know definitely strongholds in certain regional areas chicago florida michigan um what are some other places northeast and maine we've had some pretty good traction we've so we had, had texas at one point texas we still have some decent i mean powerlifting is huge in texas yeah. um we have some pretty good meets bigger there i idaho louisiana we, yeah definitely louisiana um we have certain areas where we're stronger because we have strong meat directors mm-hmm. if you wanted to see something specific or had wanted to have some influence, let's say, on the APF, and not in a negative way, but in a positive way, because it's not a giant monolith organization, you could reach out to executive committee member Eric Stone to get a response, or you could you could call up um, Gary Frank, the president, probably have a, a long, productive conversation with him versus if you want to talk to somebody in the USAPL, you know, you're probably just going to get stuck off on one of their secretaries that probably isn't a powerlifter, knows anything about powerlifting, and ultimately they're going to refer that to a committee and a subcommittee, and they're going to have a report. And I just watched uh, Star Wars Episode One with my mm-hmm. kids this weekend, where you know, literally the 
the planet of Naboo, not to go all nerd on everybody, <laughs> but, you know, the Trade Federation, you know, basically just invades the planet. And the Senate was basically going to do nothing. They were just going to, we'll establish a committee. Yeah, we'll, talk, we'll talk about it. This time. And we'll, 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 we'll launch an investigation to what actually happened in Naboo, even though they're literally just killing the, the, the citizens there and yeah. taking over their country. So it, when you have that giant bureaucracy, it doesn't always serve the individual lifters best. Um, for example, should a local lifter that just wants to lift in a powerlifting meet, should they have to buy exorbitantly expensive IPF approved gear just to compete? Like, does it make sense, especially as a raw lifter? Should I have to pay $150 for an SBD singlet just because it has the stamp of approval of the IPF? Should I have to pay $100 for fucking knee sleeves? Are you fucking kidding? I've never paid that much for a pair of knee wraps, and I sure as shit get a hell of a lot more out of my knee wraps than I ever would a pair of knee sleeves. Well, you didn't get the knee sleeves small enough. Yeah, I needed the ones where I needed, like, you know, trash bags or suit slickers to exactly. get them onto my knees. Exactly. Uh, to the average lifter, and we're, again, we're talking a lot about the average lifter here, the organization really doesn't matter. What matters is the meat director. And a lot of lifters follow meat directors that they know run proficient meats. Most lifters are never going to compete outside their immediate area. They're, you know, in the USAPL, because it's become a big event, and give the USAPL credit for that, some lifters are going to qualify and they're going to jump after doing a local meet and they're going to jump and do raw nationals but they're probably only going to do that once or twice but because of the smaller family-like feel we have in the apf we get lifters that come back to our meets and when the meets move to different areas they go there um and they maybe stick to more of the meets in where they live but they will travel because it becomes that more ingrained community versus the giant monolith that has you know Yes, the cash to put up giant video boards, um, but at the same token, don't even wear a T-shirt with a pocket because that's illegal. <laughs> you know, some organizations... So speaking of different rules. So, yeah, some organizations specifically have rules against competing in other federations. <clears throat> so APL, IPF. I mean, that's literally written into the IPF bylaws. Like, you can't compete at, like... I mean, gosh, they were going to ban people for doing a seminar with Ed Cohn because he's banned, which is... And, and don't wrong, I am not calling for all federations to band together under the USAPL slash IPF banner. That's not at all what I'm calling for. What I am asking about and talking about is consolidation to fewer feds. Sure. I guess the question is who gets to control those feds? And, I would make the, I would make the argument that there are legitimate reasons for variations in feds, and I'll, and I'll give a number of examples: drug tested versus non-tested. We're never going to be we're never going to have detente on that. There's always going to be a group of lifters that want to use drugs and don't want to be drug tested. Mm -hmm. And I think powerlifting has taken the honest approach by having right, orga organizations that are open to that. And if you want to use, cool, just don't compete drug tested. Yeah. Raw versus geared. I mean, at this point, the sport has diverged so far when you've got sleeved lifters and you've got canvas squat suits with double triple ply briefs and open back bench shirts and some of these even bullshit band shirts. I mean, those two things are very different from each other mm -hmm. and it doesn't make sense necessarily for them to be the same federation. Even single ply multiply are probably never going to be the same and never going to be in the, they're, they're never going to come to an agreement. No. Um, monolith versus walked out. I mean, lifter, I mean, you have lifters that specifically buy monoliths for their gym so they can train in a monolith and compete only on meets in monoliths. That's how serious lifters are about those, 
what to an average person, it's just a piece of equipment that holds the bar. It's but but three, to, a three thousand dollar bar holder. But to but to power lifters, there there's power lifters that would and, and probably me included that would only compete in a meet with a monolift. Um, so to me, that gives us legitimate reasons why we need at least more feds than less to some degree. And, and again, I, I, I am inclined to agree that we need some separation of, of this. I, I'm not saying we don't. But what I am saying is that the number of feds we have is way too spread out. Well, some people would make the argument that we should all be under the same umbrella and then just have different sects of the same organization. And I would make the argument that let's say – it couldn't be the USAPL IPF because they couldn't have a non-testament. But let's just say we all joined up with the ever-popular USPA, who I have no issue with, which I have no issue with. And they actually do have technically a multiply division. They, they, do. they do. And you can use a monolift in the multiply division. Why don't we just all go into the USPA banner? Because they're not multiply lifters. They don't know anything about multiply lifting. Why would you support an organization that is just throwing a division out there to take your entry fee? Right. Versus an organization that actually has its roots and foundation in multiply lifting. And that goes back like to my the point APF. Of, that goes back to my point of working together internally. It's not again. There's not a you know one size fits all, but there is a way to make it work. So, so back to and, and this is it's something that does have to be addressed. Is it you know the reason we do this? I mean, at the end of the day, what do we do? We're working out in front of people, right? That, that's what powerlifting is. You're displaying your your proficiency of working out in front of people. And so lifters do want to be recognized. They do. And it with all these different federations, it does make it harder, I, I feel, to, you know, to become known in this niche sport. You know, insta-famous lifters end up becoming the experts instead of the best lifters. And that's, you know, that's frustrating because, you know, you don't have this, you know, kind of, you know, standard or this this bar that you can necessarily point to uh, for the average person to show showcase who are the best lifters and you know who are the people that pe- that should be you know getting the, the the spotlight versus the people that hey I'm really good at showing my butt or I'm really good at you know uh, you know getting chicks into my videos and therefore people are going to listen to me because I'm insta famous <clears throat> Brad Casper and you know I can use fake weights and I can make myself look really strong the the national world champion and, and the the records and the world records, they, they lose their value and because again, people aren't recognized properly and, and it just gets diluted. And, I, and it's, that, that bugs the hell out of me. To me, it wouldn't matter if there was one fed or a hundred feds. Weightlifting is a perfect example because it is a sport which is totally only run under one organization. It's like there is there is not even one other. Like if you want to weightlift, well, Olympic weightlift, too, so. if you want Olympic weightlift, the only place to do it is USAW. In fact, if anybody out there wants to go in on a business idea with me and start a non-tested weightlifting federation, <laughs> that be dope. <laughs> I think there is a niche in the marketplace. I don't have the expertise because I'm not a weightlifting promoter, but I guarantee you there are weightlifters out there that would like to compete and not do the Olympics and just want to clean and jerk and snatch max amount of weight and not have to worry about drug tests. So when you look at USA weightlifting, there's only one federation. Does anyone know any the top-level weightlifters out there? People maybe know Mark Henry because he's a freaking, you know, he's a powerlifter. Crossover star. He's a powerlifter. He's a strongman, and he's a WWE star in addition to a weightlifter. The most popular weightlifters on Instagram are chicks with nice-looking butts and are attractive-looking. And sure, there's some that are really strong, 
but the ones that are, I don't know, maybe a little bit overweight, they post a video and all they get is hate. So it, it wouldn't matter whether there's one Fed or a hundred. Um, if there was even one Fed, the average person, again, is, they're probably not even going to know what powerlifting is. The Insta-famous lifters are going to be Insta-famous no matter what, because what sells on Instagram? I mean, it's, it's in the name. It's instant gratification. And people are looking at pictures on their little box and in their hands. <laughs> Abs, boobs, glutes, and pecs sell, not totals. You could be an average lifter. And it may have, be one of the most depressing things you've ever said, but it's not wrong. It's not wrong because totals don't sell. I mean, if you are... Unless you're Larry Wheels. Well, Larry Wheels has had a <laughs> cup of coffee in the sport and is jacked up and posts stupid-ass Instagram videos and has got himself Insta-famous. And beats the fuck out of his ex-girlfriend. If there's anybody who, you know, there, there's a girl on Instagram, Meg Squats. This is not to hate on her because, no. because actually, I like her content. She's an attractive-looking woman, um, I would say. But she's a she's a below average lifter, as am I, to be fair. But I'm not I'm not insta famous. But she's a below average lifter. Yet. But but she is far more famous than whomever lifter in the USAPL even probably took first place in her weight category because of her social media posts and following and because she's got a nice looking butt, most likely. That's not a hate on her. That's just that's just the fact of life. Sex sells, attractiveness sells. Being proficient at your sports does not. If that was the case, all the Olympic athletes out there in general would be super famous and, you know, rich beyond their wildest dreams. But the ones that become famous are the ones that either A, have an attractive look, or B, do something so extraordinary. They, they step above everybody else and even then are probably still attractive looking people. Um, to me, the cream is going to rise to the top regardless of how many federations there are. Blaine Sumner, perfect example. Now, granted, he's in the gold standard USAPL IPF, but he would be a great lifter. Hang out with Brian Carroll, you never know, man. He would be a great lifter regardless of how many federations there were. Even though there's lots of federations, you know, the guy that squats 1,100 pounds single ply walked out is going to be recognized and known because he's so GD big and strong. To be honest with you, what is recognized, and I hear about this a lot, being recognized, what does it even mean? Like, to be honest with you, most people don't care about your, quote, championship or your, quote, records, except for your family, friends, and teammates, and a small, minute amount of people in powerlifting that probably just want to hate on you anyways. And so whether there's lots of federations or one federation, in the end of the day, for most people, it doesn't really matter. And if you got a nice ass, but you squat a 20-pound kettlebell, you probably get more followers than the chick who won you know, USAPL, APF, USPA, Nationals, but, you know, doesn't show her butt off. That's what I got to start doing, show my butt off. That's what I got to do. You might get a different audience I if might. you did that. I might, but it's still, they're willing to pay, so, you know, it works out. Only man's. Oh, yikes. <laughs> so my, my, my honest thoughts, and most of those thoughts are, are of mine, um, but what do I really think? You know, those are five points. That I, I felt were we felt were, were pretty pretty we, strong. This, this points. is what we discussed. We were we were chilling yeah. the other day, and but but I think some consolidation would probably be optimal for all involved. Like for instance, we talked about all the APF offshoots. Like, would it be better, especially for multiply? You know, would it be better if there was mm -hmm. more lifters? But we've seen even with the recent WPO and uh, you know APF meets where. You know, somebody gets their panties in a wad about something super specific, and it could be totally legitimate. Yeah. But instead of working within the system and maybe, you know, approaching people from a, uh, 
positive, constructive criticism standpoint, as mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, they just go bitch on to everybody and go lift in some other federation. Yep. And, you know, you're never truly going to get that true cream of the crop, best competition, people pushing each other if people spread out to everywhere else. Now, what, say, the WPO could do, you offer enough money and people will bitch about it, but they'll still show up. That, that, that's what we talked about is if, you know, if you if suddenly the, the positions were reversed and like the Olympia, the WPO, the winner gets half a million dollars, second gets 250, third place gets 100, and then if you place top five, you're guaranteed 50 grand. Guess what? People are going to be shitty. They're going to talk smack. They're, they're going to th- complain about the judging just like they do in bodybuilding. Yep. And guess what? They are still going to be there. Yep. Um, but in general, it's egos that lead to the formation of these new federations. Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about this in our Alphabet Soup episode. The barrier to entry of running a powerlifting meet is not particularly high. I mean, you do need some equipment. You know, it's probably a little higher now than it used to be. But once you've started running meets, like you've got, you know, you've got that that equipment. Um and I, I do generally believe that the marketplace is generally going to determine an organization's worth. And and, and I generally do, too. I mean, I, I mean, and if someone finds value in lifting in an RPS meet with really odd carpets, it's like like a throw carpet from your from like your living room on the yeah, platform and the, and the green plates. Uh, yeah, I, I like that. I like. I like the. I don't know. Like, it, I, I I guess I like the fact that they're trying to be thematic. I just don't like the theme. Yeah, exactly. That's, and and, that's... and the strange carpet on the platform just just weird to me. And, <laughs> like, I don't like the look. Like, I like the fact that they definitely put a lot of thought and effort into the look. I just don't like the how it looks. Yeah. And maybe they don't like the way our meets look. That's fair. Um, there are very very few sports very few sports in the world that are going to have one organization that's handling the needs of both the elite athletes, the Olympic type athletes and the weekend warriors. And that's what we're talking about with powerlifting. I mean, give the USAPL some credit. They've got everything from weekend warriors to people that if powerlifting was in the Olympics would be in the Olympics. Sure. Like we talked about in previous episodes where, you know, the USAPL IPF is recognized by the IOC Mm -hmm. in the world games. And they send, you know, five lifters per country to a very small, powerlifting meet that's part of the off-year olympics called the world games right and it's the same organization handling the needs of those lifters as it is handling the needs of literally like the 22 year old kid that got out of high school or high school football and now wants to powerlift <laughs> i'll say 22 years old just got out of high school that's not good <laughs> college i'm sorry they just got out of college i mean i do I, I do agree there are too many national champions there are too many world champions there are too many records out there it devalues the term and you don't hear the lifters that have been around more than a couple meets, they don't go around, you know, blo- gloating. I should say mm-hmm. bloating, but well, probably they, bloating they as well. Say blo- they do do that. But so. I, you don't you don't see lifters that have been around for a while go around gloating about their lift their lifting and their their championships and their records online. They might say like, "Hey, I had a great meet, set some records, um, you know, one best lifter, whatever." Yeah, see you, you on Monday, basically. Right, but they're not necessarily going to go out there and be like, "I'm the best. I'm the best in the world." It's like, well, sure, <laughs> sure. I mean, you're the best of that organization, and you you beat some other lifters, and great. But most lifters that have been around for a do have perspective on that. Um, and I do think that you know, at the end of the day, we'd probably be better off with less federations than more. But I do think that there probably is value in a free marketplace of driving competition and having in a sport that really does have definitive differences in non-tested, multiply, 
uh, powerlifting versus, yeah. you know, drug tested raw powerlifting. No, I agree. And, and it's, I think one of the things that we talk about because so many people identify almost like a personality with a, with particular federations. And that's something that, you know, not everybody necessarily likes. Like there's, you know, this elitist view of, you know, certain USAPL lifters or, or, you know, this degenerate view of like multiply lifters for whatever reason, or that the USPA is actually the true elitists. It's, I think that is something that's very frustrating. And so somehow being able to bring these together and create a unified body, I think is really what, what the concept is. And, but to your point, how do you serve the individual lifter? Because one of the, one of the reasons that powerlifting has exploded is the familial atmosphere of some of these more localized federations of meets. And so that, that is served powerlifting very, very well and, and introducing people to it. And, you know, then, Hey, if, you know, the free market dictates and people want to go to a, you know, different type of competition, they, they, they can. And so and that I think is the beauty of the free marketplace in the United States, which it, doesn't it is. always exist in other, in other countries where South Africa, like if you wanted to compete non-tested, after they kicked out the WPC, that's it. Yeah, exactly. So you either have to beat the drug test or <laughs> not compete. Plenty, plenty of people do. So, so yeah. So I, I think that some consolidation would be that's great. That's the stupidest thing anybody's ever said. That you know, drug test is not drug free. The fuck out of here. Quit mainline all the Kool Aid. <clears throat> so, you know, to to kind of sum everything up, I do think some consolidation is 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 needed uh, because I do think some of these federations are are just. They say they're for the lifter, and that's fine. But at some point, you've got to you've got to put together a professional product. You really, really do. And just you know, case in point, it should not take twelve and a half hours to get through thirty five lifters in a meet. You just you gotta you gotta do better. <laughs> and you you want to put together a professional product for a lifter. But do at the same now. token, if if people are happy having that twelve and a half hour experience with thirty lifters, who are we to say they can't? I would just say it's not the only way. And so I would definitely explore your options. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. That's certainly not the product. This is devil's advocate, right? We got it. Right. That's certainly not the product I put out there no, or no. that we put out there. But pound, pound through those attempts, just pound, pound, pound. Yeah, that's what's going to happen this weekend, Mr. Bain. A lot of, oh, lot of, lot of pounding. Oh, oh, hey, hey, hey. Careful there, Hoss. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Anything else to add, Mr. Bain, on too many federations? There's too many feds. Too, it's a terrible deal, horrible deal, worst deal in history. We need fewer feds. We will make powerlifting great again. No, USAPL is very nasty to me. They say I, very I mean things. They say very mean things about the APF. But guess what? Can't say shit when you don't have our nationals. <laughs> <laughs> we will so, build a great platform, and the USAPL paid for it. Well, but I don't go to the USAPL because if you put a, a, a bottle of DECA and a denim bench shirt on a bench, it's not going to bench 600 pounds. And if you, if you lift the USAPL, you don't do reverse hoppers because you're too busy doing SPD five times a week. That you is. Can, and you can also go fuck yourself. That is 100% true. <laughs> well, well, both uh, of those things. <laughs> literally. So, Mr. Bain, we've got, uh, I think we've got our surveys out to some, we some do. individuals we on do. Our, uh, our PED episode. So, yes, we have been. I, it seems like we talk about that every week. But, I mean, it is the type of episode where we actually want to do not just our own research, but get some anecdotal research 
Um, we're working on a couple interviews here and there. Those mm-hmm. sometimes, again, it was so much easier to schedule people during the shutdown. Yeah, man, could we just, you know, hey, Sleepy Joe, could you just shut us down for 100 days like you've been talking about? That'd be great. Wrong. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, go fuck yourself. No, I, I, th- getting easier interviews for Strength and Anger is not worth uh, shutting things down. No, 100% not. not In fact, I will deal down. with the difficulty of it and interview yeah. people on fucking Saturday if that's what it takes. Yep. Um, anything else to add, Mr. Bain? Uh, I'm ready to go this weekend, man. With that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and Anger. Nobody cares about soccer. <laughs>